Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Anne and Steve Talk Stuff, where an artist and economist walk into a podcast and stuff happens. Hi Stephen, how are you? I'm all good and all good. How are you getting on? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Not that anyone can notice, but I got a haircut and um, so it's always an interesting, has always an interesting effect on me, a haircut, because it's exciting and it's scary and it's always a bit of getting used to. So, um, but you're so brave for actually doing it. I mean, I've had the same haircut since I was like, I don't know, four. <laughs> it's just you, a standard Irish male short back and sides. You, know? you have to understand, Stephen, to say to a person about their haircut that they're brave isn't always the best framing. <laughs> you're so brave. <laughs> You're so brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The way you replaced your eyebrows with sellotape. So <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And I've yeah. been sporting uh, kind of asymmetrical hair for a while. It was a very much a late t- 2019 thing I did, and I was feeling all happy and kind of shaved on one side. And then, um, like 2020, just happened, and suddenly. Mm. I really stopped caring about what I like a lot of people, what I look like in general, any, anywhere. And my hair was growing and I was like, okay, at any point in time, I can very, very, very quickly go back to the hairstyle I had. I mean, I can sure. very quickly shave one side of my head and no bother. But when hair grows for a while, you start to go, hmm, what will this do? So, um, so yeah, my, my hairdresser kind of has evened out the sides and turned into this, um, I don't know, kind of, kind of French thing. Anyway, I'm up for it. I'm, I'm, I'm brave. I'm brave. You are. I'm well, taking like, a chance. Like the, the, the most, um, the most uh, follicular innovation that I, I have ever been a part, a part of is when I allowed my um, 13-year-old son to shave my head. And he made, he made a bit of a... Um, he made a total balls of it. <laughs> well, the front he, looked good, if I remember right. Well, I think you'll find that the sides of my head, like my, like they were about two inches back from where they normally were, because <laughs> he forgot. <laughs> yeah, there's a great picture of him just before he's about to. Um, of course, my my wife just like like she she actually didn't take that many pictures of it because she was too busy laughing, like she was shaking laughing, <laughs> and she was laughing so hard she distracted him. He forgot to put the guard on it and just literally shaved a giant L into the back of my head. Yes, I Which saw was, the photos. Yeah. We didn't share them. We possibly should have, but it yeah, was, I think it was yeah. I mean, it's just standard COVID cut disaster. Um, but actually, interestingly, uh, unlike his his uh, Freddy cat father, uh, my son has decided to uh, cut his own hair. So Fair he's play. got me to buy him uh, a set in um, Lidl. They were giving. They were had a. They're doing one of their. Oh you yes, know, they're they're kids. They're they're yeah, they're thing. They're they're so he's he's gonna do his own hair. Fair just play. Because respect, respect. I don't know. I just I I'm always amazed with that. To me, a haircut is the most passive thing in the world. It's literally sit there and don't move your head, and hopefully you will look okay at the end of it. And the notion of actually having to you know use my own arms in the process even though i brush my hair every day and wash it myself something about cutting i'm like but surely you need to be able to see what you're doing but yeah. a lot of people i know very successfully cut their own hair so i don't know it's just yeah. a, a mindset i suppose i have i know i'm, I'm never never letting him near my head again but um <laughs> best of luck to him in his uh, best of journey. luck yeah. <laughs> 
So anyway, Stephen, this week we are talking about um, the nature of questions. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit meta. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually probably meta, meta. So meta, in the last two or three podcasts we've done, we talked a lot about where we asked questions of um, people who are very kindly responded to them on Twitter. And the questions got me thinking about the nature of questions because they were still mm. good. Like, you know, we, we sort of asked people about, you know, their memory, about, their, me- their favorite memory about trees. What's your favorite tree and why? Um, and then we asked them something else the previous week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. And it was, what was interesting about it was, um, was the nature of a question. Questions are very powerful things. Mm. You know, um, they can create, they can open doors in your own head. If, if they're the right question, if you hear it on the right day, yeah, you can do well. There's, there's a, a brilliant book. There's, a, there's an author I love. His name is Italo Calvino. And um, he, he wrote loads of really, really amazing books in the mid 20th century, mid to late 20th century. But his, he, he has a book called Invisible Cities. Hmm. And every page is like a travelogue to this magical city, which they're, 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 they, don't, they don't exist. But he's always asking, like, what is a city? Right. And if you ask what is a city to anyone, they will give you a totally different answer. There are, there are multiple cities, you know, yeah. and there's no answer to that question. But the fact that there's no answer to that kind of obvious question, if you think about it, um, mm. what is a city? Like, it's like, what is a Lego brick? You know, the, there, there is a very sort of give me, give me the, the essence of it. It's very difficult to define. Mm. Um, and the more you think about a question like that, the more it, kind of, it can get under your skin and it can really change your, your thinking about something. Um, there's a, a fantastic story of um, a, a physicist called Paul Dirac. And Dirac, uh, in the early 20th century, he, um, uh, you, know, you know antimatter? Yeah. Yeah, so, so uh, there was, there's matter, which is stuff that's made of things. And there's antimatter, which is not that. Which buys, Dirac, uh, which buys matter things on its communion and birthdays. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. It sort of like licks its thumb and rubs your forehead for some <laughs> unknown reason. You know, <laughs> <laughs> probably has too much to drink on the communion as well. Much oh, more, stop. You're like, I love it so much. Much more present than Uncle Matter. Yeah, yeah, Uncle Matter. I mean, he's, he was just hammered from, 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 from several hours ago. You know, and uh, and you're, you're clear that your father and uncle matter don't get along. Oh, no. definitely not. But you're not but, sure why. And they'll never tell you, you know, <laughs> never tell you. But, but yeah, no one's comfortable. You feel the energy in the room change. And um, anti-matter, so I imagine. Anyway, uh, he decided, he, decided <laughs> he was, um, he had to divide by square root of minus one. And he, he, he realized that, you know, if you, if you, if you try to get a, if you try to get so the square root of two, Mm-hmm. The square root of four, or for example, is not mm. square root of four isn't two. It's plus or minus two. Oh, I get you. Okay. okay. So what people were doing was they were going, yeah, yeah, that minus thing, never mind that. Let's just move on. And um, Dirac realized, well, hang on a second. We're talking about fundamental constants of the universe. You can't possibly get, just ignore the fact that there's a minus one. There's a whole other different two, not just the first positive two that you're used to. There's a negative two. Mm-hmm. And he, he asked himself this question, like, where does that negative two go? And he discovered antimatter. And there was loads of other, he, he won the Nobel Prize of Physics for this very simple question, you know? Um, and lots of really, really, really profound questions come from children 
you know yes yeah i often find i often find um uh when people uh beat me and they go you know what do you do and i go oh, i'm an economist all right yeah and the first kind of question they ask is like oh should i buy a house or something right <laughs> and then it's always or you know should i invest in blah and i'm like well it's not really my job but kind of give them some some sort of boiler plate and you said would it make you happy yeah would it make you happy <laughs> I'm discovering that's one of the big economist questions as I do this uh, Isn't podcast it though? with you. <laughs> you see, economists are all about happiness, right? Yeah. We yeah. actually are all about happiness, despite the fact that um, we're generally uh, sort of a dismal bunch. Um, but actually, <laughs> we, study, we study how to make people happy. Mm. Um, not unlike clowns in that way, um, although we might be slightly creepier. So the, the, <laughs> uh, the, um, the, the nice thing about a cool question is its ability to change that. So, so we, we, I found myself thinking a lot about trees last week. Yeah. And I, actually what's been interesting about me this week is I'm still very affected by that book. I read the overstory. Yeah. Um, and I've read uh, two other books since to kind of like de overstory my head. Right. And it hasn't. Okay. I read a book called the choice by Edith Eger, which is, uh, she is a, a clinical psychologist who, uh, survived Auschwitz. Yes, um, and I, she yes. Uh, she has an incredible book. It's really really interesting. Um, but her book, uh, you can boil her book down to: your past is gone. You have no choice but to live with it. You have a choice about how you react to certain situations. Okay. Um, which is, you know, that's what that's what Buddha said: be present. You know, that's your your the only moment you have is now. Mm-hmm. you know um and, and this kind of thing don't be too future focused don't be too present focused so that was her book um and then i read this other one invisible cities and i still find myself thinking about the questions that people asked about the Ovos over story which is like yeah. three books ago and i'm like yeah. oh okay so then i started thinking are there cool questions about questions that we could ask mm-hmm. right which takes us to this podcast so you got on the twitter i did and you asked a question which was, yeah, which was what the question you asked, which was, uh, what is the best question or set of questions you know and why? And we got some cool answers. We did get a mix. It was funny. Somebody, uh, my, my dad was a philosophy lecture, lecturer. So questions were a big part of, of our household growing up. And somebody said, uh, uh, someone said, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you should ask your dad. <laughs> but one show would not be enough. Um, we should. Why not? Yeah, yeah. But well, the, that is, it, it is very hard to have an argument with a philosopher because you can, it's, it's too, not an argument. I mean, like even a debate because it's just agreeing on the ground rules, like even yeah. agreeing on the fact we're awake, things like that yeah. is, it yeah. just gets tricky. You're like, can we just yeah. skip to the bit where we all agree that we're physically here? <laughs> but are we? Oh, Jesus. Um, so yeah. uh, a few things, uh, a few things came through. Um, someone Joe Sheehan said who, what, when, where, how, and why, which obviously gets everything pretty, pretty nailed down. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody said, uh, would you care to el- elaborate if you were, um, interviewing someone? Um, yeah. my wife put in, why not? And she said, uh, with and without a North side attitude. So why not? Uh, which would be the my terrible Northside Dublin accent. And is that what that was? Shut up. Oh. <laughs> Shut Why, up. Not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, and then this one from Jantian said, 
I enjoy questions that make you feel better in the long run. Like, I love this one. What would I rather be doing? And what am I grateful for today? If you ask yourself, there is a good chance you create new good habits for yourself. Like that's like, what's nice about that is, is that the question itself is being used as a machine, mm. right? It's being used as a machine to pump out a better version of yourself. So one of the things that's really interesting about gratitude is it's a very present focused question. Mm-hmm. What are you grateful for now? You know, and it puts the, it's a really interesting question because it, first off, it's about you, mm-hmm. right? What are you grateful for? But it's, it's, it's external to you as well. A lot of the time, what you're grateful for, you're not grateful for your, like your chiseled abs, right? You're, you're grateful for your family and you're grateful for your, your friends and your dog and all that. You're not, mm. you know, you know I'm, <laughs> I'm so grateful that I'm awesome. Like that's not a thing, right? The idea is to show a kind of gen- a genuine outward regard for the world, which is, which is exactly what you know, everyone needs. Mm-hmm. Um, the other uh, interesting thing is what would I rather be doing? So yeah. it's comparing two states of being, right? So it's, 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 it's your happiness from whatever set of activities you're, you're, you're engaged in and then your expected happiness from something else, you know, what I'd rather yeah. be doing. Um, Steve Jobs used to say that he used to stare at himself in the mirror for a couple of minutes every day. And if he couldn't look himself in the eye, he'd stop what he was doing and just change his behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a kind of a practice where you're, you're, you're just sort of asking what's, what's going on. And I think it's great. The, the better questions that the, the, the best people I know ask themselves uh, very useful questions, but mm. they're useful in, in an operational sense. So uh, somebody, I, I forget actually whose question this is, but it, um, I had one of those days where, where I'm, remembering, I'm remembering the dynamic of things, but not the detail. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah. So they said, how are you complicit in creating the conditions that make you annoyed or unhappy? Okay. Right. So how are you complicit in creating the conditions that annoy you, you know, or upset you or make you unhappy? Yeah. And it's like, so that kind of question, it says, right, first off, you have to list the things that annoy you. Then you have to put, place yourself at the middle of the agency of the thing that you wish to change. And then you're like, by identifying both sides of that you're like oh wait i actually see the problem here <laughs> i see the problem <laughs> you know yeah um, i see precisely where i need to fix my situation so like if you're if you're what annoys you is the fact that you work too hard right and you're always working and your kids never see you mm-hmm. and like that's what's making you unhappy your kids saying i would like to see you more and then you're like, oh, well, how am I complicit in that? <laughs> Are you saying yes to all the things? Yeah. Maybe don't say yes to all the things. And it's like, okay, right. So the, so the question itself is a machine, right? And, and the best questions are very well constructed to kind of give you that, you know? Mm. Um, and that reminded me of this book I came across by a dude called Warren Berger. And it's mm. called The Book of Beautiful Questions. And it's an absolute goldmine of a book. Now, you can't read it cover to cover. Because if you do, you turn into one of those fellas from Silicon Valley who all do TED Talks and this kind of thing. You know, it's written in that kind of like, I want to get a TED Talk kind of uh, um, vibe, right? But right. that does not mean, that does not mean it's not a useful book. Uh, sometimes the worst written books are the most useful in the long run. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so for example, and, and, and what I like about this book is it spans lots and lots of different areas. So here, for example, 
is a really uh, useful set of uh, questions to go through with your kids or anyone who's dealing with social media. So uh, how strong is the evidence? What are they, whoever you're reading, not telling mm -hmm. me, does it logically follow? What is the opposing view? And which of the conflicting views has more evidence behind it? So think about it at the moment is a big row on social media about mask wearing. How strong is the evidence? Actually not that strong on either side. What are they not telling me? Right? So this can, it, between one way or another, it can, it can lead you into conspiracy theory. It mm. can lead you into uh, a review of the scientific literature. Does it logically follow? So does it logically follow that wearing a mask and preventing droplets coming out of your face reduces the probability that other people are going to get your droplets on their face. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Right. Um, what is the opposing view? The opposing view is uh, you don't have to wear masks and uh, by not wearing masks, everything's better. Mm -hmm. Does that logically follow? Not really. And which of the conflicting views is more evidence behind it? Um, wear a fucking mask. Right. <laughs> so you can, so you get my point, right? And so that's, that's like a bullshit evaluation tool, but really it's like, you should just use it every day on social media. Mm -hmm. Another, um, another really useful set of questions is, um, what would an outsider do? Hmm. Right. Like if you gave, like, cause you're, let's say in academia or whatever, um, if you didn't know anything about it, like how would you behave? Right. What would an outsider do? Can you, uh, uh, loads of studies have shown that if you talk about yourself in the third person, you tend to solve problems more quickly. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem is you sound like a dickhead when you're doing it. Like of Stephen course. is unhappy. I mean, <laughs> so. but it's kind of like, uh, it's like a one person role play in a way. It's, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, separating maybe, yourself from a thing. Maybe, I don't know. Has the, have the, have you guys at narrative four, have you ever tried to do like a, a thing where you tell your own story in the third person to yourself? No, no. Cause I suppose the, the purpose of, of the story exchange is connection with somebody else. And it's about telling another person's lived experience, but mm. certainly in drama, like in, in theater kind of, uh, when you're exploring characters and that, um, you know, you do a lot of exercises like that to, to get people thinking, get people outside their own head. Um, often you question them as their character or else like that, get them to talk about what their character wants. So, although there are writers who say, as um, when people say my character, what did they say? It's not your character. It, it's written by someone else. Just read the it's lines. <laughs> Just read the lines. <laughs> Just I remember play. years ago, I, I, I was, uh, I had this, the first, my first, um, first uh, office at the University of Limerick was a chemical cupboard. So they, they took out literally the chemicals <laughs> and they stacked them outside and they brought my computer in and I'll still, I'll never, to this day, I'll never forget the porter. And he was like, there you are now, doctor, you know, sent me in the <laughs> like, but, so I rocked up to the Dean anyway, you know, literally, you know, yeah. you don't follow, didn't he, I, I, didn't even, I don't even think I had a payslip, but I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, <laughs> who do you think you are kind of shit? You know, I was really like, give me a better <laughs> office. And I was like, my office is not good enough. And the dean went, it's not your office. And he went, this isn't my office. So this is the dean's office. I just happen to be the dean today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, that's not your office. That's just the university's office. And 
Never, ever forget it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, and you know what? I never have. And if you come into my office, it's totally bare. There's nothing in there. There's just books and a table. Mm. And uh, the reason is, it's not my office. Right. It has my name on it for the minute, but it'll have somebody else's name on it in the future. And that's fun. And he re- that was a really, really great. It's, not, it's no one's yeah. character. <laughs> no, it's not yours. It's your part. You just know? say your lines. Just yeah, just say your lines, <laughs> get paid, get out the door. That's the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, there's a cool set of um, how to be better friends. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Uh, uh, what do you struggle with on a day-to-day basis? Uh, what have you always wanted to try? If you could start your own charity, what would it be? What would be the title of your autobiography? Oh, that's a great one. Um, if you had to live in, in another country for a year, uh, where would that be? They're great. I mean, that's just, they're just great questions, right? Because there's no, you know, there's no right answer. There's no. no right, ooh, ooh, for the, for the, for the, for, for both our listeners. Uh, uh, <laughs> questions that your boss will love. Ooh, spicy. Ooh. What would you do in my position? I don't know about that one, actually. It's a bit of a lick arsey one. Because that's like, solve my problems for me, boss. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does your ideal employee look like? Me. What's the one thing that if I did it differently would make a difference to you? Ooh, nice. Ooh. Um, what is the most important thing on your list to accomplish today? Is there any way I can help? That's top question. That is a top, top, top question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's loads of this this kind of thing, and um, so yeah, Warren Berger's book is 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 nice. It's interesting. Whatever you do, don't read it all the way through, but it is this thing about can we? Is there a mechanism mm. to to discover better questions? Right? right. That is a great question. Yeah. Is there a can we can we come up with better sets of questions about ourselves, about anything else? I mean, if you think about psychotherapy. Um, think about Jungian psychotherapy, for example. It's all about archetypes. Yeah. You know, um, and they're just like, what archetype are you like? You know. Mm-hmm. I said, well, okay. So is that is that a good a good um, description of Jungian psychotherapy? Like, no. But if if you think about all therapy is essentially asking questions about yourself to mm-hmm. yourself. Well, you know, it's interesting because then better questions constitute better therapy. Yeah. And all science is just better questions. Yeah, um, and it's uh, it's the whole like being reflective by nature makes you yeah. uh a person who's better adapted to the world or you, you know you're going to meet people and you're not going to be this is how things are and, and Oh god, those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember it's it's funny these not, know not funny. books. <laughs> um he has so many books, ladies and gentlemen. Um <gasps> like oh! fr- I was oh. looking through another book and I found a fiver. <laughs> and I've just used it as a bookmark. <laughs> oh, you. That's yes. a Celtic tiger. Well, it would have been a 50 in the, in the Celtic tiger years. I, I love suppose. that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so great. Aww. That is so happy, great. Happy, happy days. Um, yeah, well, I, I have another book. A friend sent me this book. It's called A Life Audit by a lady called Michelle Maroney. Mm. I haven't done it yet. It's a workbook. You have to write into the book. Okay. Um, I haven't used it yet, but I, I will. But uh, it's a beautifully formatted book, but it's full of like pages of like that you're to write into my yes. notes, etc. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. the the thing that I, I often wondered is 
uh, often the questions we ask reflect the kind of society we are. And yes. um, so on, I think Friday last week um, was the, uh, the 19th anniversary of um, the Twin Towers attacks, September 11th. Oh, yeah. And I remember, um, like all of us, I was, I, I remember what I was doing at the time. I was, I was living in Dublin. Um, I was working for Arthur Anderson. Yeah, as we burning talked about files. <laughs> burning files. Burning files. Listen, in the global financial crisis. That's me. Um, and I remember noticing, I wasn't a particularly, I don't know, I, I like I, I wouldn't have said I was as critical a thinker as as even for the age I was um, at the time, but I remember being struck by the headlines, and the headline was always, "How did this happen? How could this happen?" That was a question. Everything. How could this happen? How could this happen? And I remember at the time thinking, not defending any terror attack, but I say, why is no one asking why? Mm. If if somebody yeah. like deliberately drove a vehicle into my house in pure frustration and hatred for me for example um not in an act like not someone who skidded and crashed into my house but someone yeah, actually yeah. said i'm going to drive my car or a tank into Anne blake's house i would need to ask why and I'm not talking about victim blaming at all. I'm just saying, I remember being really struck. Why is no one asking why these people would go to these horrific lengths and commit these horrendous acts to this nation? Like, and, and just, just the reflection didn't seem to be there. It just seemed to be, they hate us. And you're like, well, yeah. but why do they hate you? Mm. Can you question any of your policies, any of the things that you might have done in these countries that would radicalize these young men to this point that they would actually do something this drastic. As I said, not defending. I am not, oh, I, this I is know. not a, um, is a reflection, right? It was a, yeah, it was a, a horrific, a, a horrible thing that happened. And I just, and, and then if, like similarly, um, when people are attacked or when, particularly women are, are attacked or raped. There's so much like, well, why were you wearing that? What were you doing out that late at night? What were you thinking? Whereas nobody is asking the question, why does an attacker think it is okay to do, you, you know, like, why yeah. are we asking? No, actually, not even forget about the attacker. Cause like, why do we ask these questions of victims? And yeah. What does that say about us? Because why do we immediately kind of put a little bit of the blame onto the other person? Like that's what we automatically do when we ask those questions. Yeah. We immediately assign some of the blame to to the person. And in fairness, mm. we should all, like in an ideal world, be able to walk home at any time of night, at any time. Like that is the ideal. So mm. the question we should ask is not, you know, why were you walking home late at night? That that's not that's not a helpful question. Um, or what were you thinking? Or what did you expect? What did you yeah. expect? What did you expect? That tells us a lot about ourselves. That yeah. we expect a lot less of humanity because we expect someone to attack a person who's walking home, male or female or whatever, yeah. uh, if they see an opportunity. And we expect, and this is what we were talking about a few weeks ago with the book you've been talking about, Humankind, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, we don't, we actually are a lot sounder then we let on our, our, you know, the Lord of the Flies is not actually the, 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 um, 
what's the word? The the, the inevitable ending mm. of a bunch of kids being on an island. They actually, yeah. when that actually happened, it worked out quite well. Uh-huh. And if we expect, if our questions always expect less of our society, then we'll probably fulfill that role, given yes. a chance. Because, yeah. I mean, well, what, what else would you do? What else would you do? This is uh, your opportunity. <laughs> I like that. I like that your question defines the level of expectation you have about the person and their own society. Mm. That is a very, a very wise um, observation, actually. Um, because I think you could ask someone a lot about the, the what's about mm. someone, you know, what's your favorite color and stuff. Um, and that doesn't really tell you much about somebody. Yeah. Favorite color is black, you know, um, you know, what's your, like, okay, you could, you could ask something a little bit deeper, like, you know, um, what's a dream you remember of childhood or something like that, you know, mm. I mean, but people would probably make some shit up, right? They would, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, like if you wanted to, I mean, and people don't always have to answer in a straight way. They might, they might decide to, to directly subvert the implicit power of the interviewer by mm. giving nonsense answers, right? So Bob Dylan is the best example of this. Like, he's never given a straight answer to any question. Any interview has ever posed him for the okay. crack because he's saying, you're not, in, you're not the boss of me. He didn't even right. show up for his own Nobel Prize, for God's sake. He's too cool for that. He's, he's above it all. Mm. Um, but that idea of, you know, questions needing to be true questions needing to have answers that are true mm-hmm. not at all um people people will often go i'm not going to give you a straight answer i don't really want to mm-hmm. um or the words that they're using they don't necessarily have to connect to the emotion that you might normally attribute to them for example when people are fighting in particular in in in, in when kids fight Often it's, it's for solidarity right? and less for violence, you know? So you okay, say, how often you... do you engage in scraps? And it's like, well, you know, every day. You're like, oh, violence in the home every day. You're like, no, no, they're just, you know, kids, messy, yeah. you know? And, and you know, sometimes that is abuse, right? But often it's just, they're, they're like, I would never hurt him. You know, like it, there's that kind of, Think it's more. An These are your kids scrapping with each other. Am I right? Yeah, it's more an expression yeah. of closeness. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, I just punch the kid. No, okay, no. I just thought I'd clear that up in case yeah. anyone was on. Yeah, yeah, people were like dining nine nine nine. No, no, no. But it's also not my kids. It's, a, it's just an example from a qualitative study I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just it's that it's always given as a good example of a of a if you look at it in a quantitative way, you know. Mm numbers of how many you know not how many incidents of violence in the home lots in yes. a qualitative way actually it's the siblings expressing their closeness not nice. having the words to do so and so yeah and that that's a, that's a very that, and just again for anybody like there's a very well verified quantitative and qualitative distinction it's in a, it's in a, a book chapter about it um, by cooper 2006 Okay. Anyway, the, the, the other thing that was sent to us um, was a set of questions that is now called the Proust questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marcel Proust uh, uh, wrote Swan's Way and a bunch of other books. Um, and uh, he's one of those authors that if you try to read him, I don't know, 
I think we should all read the great books so that we're aware of them. But I also think the more of these books you read, the less respect you have for them. Okay. Uh, so I remember, I think I told you, I read The Iliad to my kids. Yes. And it's just a fucking Michael Bay film. It's just, your man punched your one, and then then everything died, and he stabbed him. And it's just one long running battle. And it's it's great fun. The kids loved it. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, that's why everyone loves that book because, yeah. Um, and then I, I started reading them, reading them the Aeneid, but they weren't into it because it's just a travelogue. They were, mm. they were just kind of bored because they didn't really know any of the places. Yeah. But what, what it teaches, that kind of stuff teaches you is that you should, you should, of course, avail yourself of the great literature of the world, but never be overawed by it because it's not that great, to be honest. The more you read of it. And Proust is a bit like that for me. Okay. Uh, you read him and you're like, Okay, I mean I get it, but yeah, you know I've I've read. I, I think we we're in a much better period for literature now, to be honest. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, I really do. I I, I, know, I this glorification of the past, mm. it's fine, and it's I'm glad that Proust wrote what he wrote, and I he had an interesting life, and and you know and and all that, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm we're better now. Well, in certain respects. <laughs> In certain respects, in well, certain respects, it's like uh, the Iliad is basically the hero's journey, isn't it? It's the original. Yeah, totally. It's the original the map original for journey. pretty much every movie we love today. The All Star of them. Wars, yeah, yeah. All of them. There's a hero, but he's got a flaw. Yeah, you know, and it's like okay, you know, and 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 there's a there's a thing, and it happens, and then the hero, you know, has a bad time, and then he has a good time, and then they get better, and he moves on. Yeah, you know? reluctant um, like, call. Yeah. yeah. And it's got everything in it. The Iliad has everything in it. Yeah. People have been over it. Like, I only read it the one time out loud. Mm. So maybe if you comb through it for a whole scholarly career, you find other things. I don't know. But I'm the, just thing, what I, yeah. the thing with the Proust questionnaire, and I yeah. think Bernadine Carroll, once again, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, that it's actually the set of questions were not come up with by him, but his answers were mm. considered very interesting so um so there's confessions questions and confidences questions Mm, yeah yeah um and so so the idea uh is um the les confidences du salon right the idea of like drawing room confessions so like the thing that you would never really say but really Mm. you would say because obviously you're writing it down and sending it back to a literary magazine right so um so, the, so you, first thing to understand about this stuff, the Proust questionnaire is, uh, it is um, it's from the 1890s. It uh, has a load of kind of particularly weird um, uh, questions, some of which are sort of boring, like what's your favorite bird? And he goes, the swallow, right? That's yeah. fine. And, and you know, generations of interviewers have been phoning it in by just handing this stuff to people and going, answer it. Now, what's interesting is, since the Proust questionnaire, because Proust is such a sort of a, a giant of, of, of uh, late 19th century, early 20th century literature, that um, basically it's, it's a bit like covering a Tom Waits song. You can only do it if you're cool, right? And uh, people like David Bowie have answered the Proust questionnaire. And everyone, you know, Bruce Springsteen has answered it and loads of people have answered it and it's cool. So, but you have to remember, this is a, an exercise in performance, mm-hmm. right? You're performing this. Maybe this is not 
the set of actual answers. He just want to sound cool. I've no doubt to Bob Dylan, if he did this, I'm sure he probably did. He didn't give any consistent answers. He probably just did it for the crack. And maybe mm-hmm. sometimes what you're trying to do is you're trying to have the most interesting answer as opposed to maybe the most truthful. So that's yeah. the other thing. It's just entertainment, you know? Um, but have you, but you know what? You know what's not entertainment? I'm like, is the, uh, the, the questionnaire that we did the other day about what tree are you? What tree are you? <laughs> what tree are you? <laughs> well, so I had somebody, if I had to be a tree, what kind of tree do you think I'd be? To somebody who doesn't listen to this podcast at all. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, an oak. And I was like, oh. why? Why did you say an oak? And, uh, and they kind of went, hmm. And I was like, it's the only one you remember, isn't it? <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> well, they didn't want to call you a monkey puzzle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're a Scotch pine. You know what I mean? <laughs> Douglas fir. Oh, they want to go, oh, Stephen, you're a cherry blossom. <laughs> you're a cherry blossom. <laughs> you're one of those Christmas tree yolks. Yeah, yeah. no. Oh, yeah. Very yeah, good. An air freshener, a car <laughs> freshener. <laughs> you're that car smell, you know? But, but yeah. so, but the question is, have you done the Proust questionnaire? No. So, 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 so the thing about it is, um, uh, I think I think what we might do is there's some of them that are just boring, like what's your favorite color and stuff. So let's see if we could. But there are some really interesting ones, like what is your idea of misery? I think we're getting a bit of an insight into it right now. Yeah. In yeah. in this land yeah. we live in, um, I think for me disconnection, mm. disconnection from people. Um, not not. I mean, the flip side of that is having time to yourself is wonderful, and I love my own time. But disconnection is uh, is not something. It's pretty much my definition of misery. How about you? Yeah. Um, my idea of misery would be being told what to do. I I was a terrible employee. I started work when I was um, eleven, and I was a terrible employee the whole time. I was always going, "Why am I doing this?" And I, you know, I worked really hard for everyone I worked for, but I never really enjoyed it. And now I have a boss, but in a very like vague sense. Right. I'm a member of a department, but I do what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. that's great. Um, Yeah. Misery would be being told what to do and not having autonomy in what to do. Um, So you're not wearing a mask these days then, no? No. No. What? (laughs) Screw you and your science. (laughs) Sorry, just one little th- little aside about that. And I know we're not getting stuck on that, but yeah. it's this idea that any of us want to wear them. Like, oh, yeah. it's not like, mm, great mask. It's like, why do you think you're such an individual for not wanting to do this? No one wants to do this yeah. unless you particularly do, Which, but that's not the norm. Like if somebody has an income yeah, to wear a mask, that's their own business. But most of us don't want, Ooh. it's inconvenient. Who did you see before COVID wandering around with like a Bane mask on? Yeah. No, you went, there's a fella dressed up like Bane. Fair play to him. Hope he's enjoying his day. I mean, but you didn't go, oh, that's cool. I'd like to emulate that behavior on a daily basis. But it's you know, this no, idea it's, that I'm such an individual because I don't want to do something that's really inconvenient and really uncomfortable and a pain in the hole. That doesn't make, you know, that does not make you an individual. It just means like most of us, given the chance, if we could do whatever we want, 
would be delighted to do whatever we want whenever we wanted but we're just trying yeah. to work in a society and and yeah the question is like what kind of society do you want to be and what kind of a person do you want to be in society and i know now if i walk into a shop and i haven't put my mask on or i've left in the car I feel like I walked in naked. <laughs> like I'm racing back to the car. Like, oh my god! You know, I feel yeah, people yeah, yeah. looking at me uh, in a way maybe uh, two months ago they wouldn't have. And it, it's funny how quickly we adjust. And I know that's probably a, a, this is a whole separate podcast, but um, it's there's certain um, questioning that is constructive and and it, it tells us about ourselves and a certain questioning that's used to shut people down and to end conversation uh like you know why do i have to wear a mask is not an engagement it's a it's a confrontation yeah. and i think yeah. have you ever heard the term what aboutery yes so you go oh, yes it's really bad like what's happening to the african-american community uh in Ireland. oh yeah but what about uh what about like Syria? And you're like the famine. And you're like, you know, yeah, but Syria, all the time. Syria is another part of the world. And we're talking about this, you know. And what about is all always about deflecting and seeming to be virtue signaling, but actually just shutting down any yeah. kind of questioning yeah, and yeah, any yeah. kind of any kind of healthy debate. Hmm. Um, but and we are running out of time here, so I wonder with our Proust questionnaire, Stephen. Kinslap. Mm -hmm. For next week, should you and I have done the Proust questionnaire? Let's do it. Okay. Let's do so it. We'll have to Let's not do the stupid color things, though, right? I mean, okay. there are some that are just dumb. What's your favorite color? I don't know, black, blue, and red, whatever. I mean, I, I, don't, I, have, I have no favorite color. That's my problem. If somebody asks me, pick a color, I'll go blue, but it, only because the last thing I saw was blue. You know, like I don't yes. care in any way. Um, that, I'm not saying if you have a favorite color, that's fine, but I, I literally don't. I, 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 yeah, that flower okay. that I like. Yeah, I remember at our, at our wedding, my, my wife was like, what flowers do you want? She's like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But she was expected to have an opinion about flowers, not me. Yes. Uh, I well, was like, yeah. On that note then, because we, we will have to wrap up shortly, we um, but we'll do, you and I, we'll do the Proust questionnaire for yes. next week, but we'll do the Proust questionnaire without the stupid questions. <laughs> Is that what I'm saying? Is that you know the what? Screw it. You're right. You're right. You know what? We should just do it. Do the actual Proust questionnaire. Okay. Okay. Yes. And we'll yes. do our homework and we'll show up with that done and we'll see where it takes us. Yeah. And, uh, and we could also put, the, put it out there for people if they want to uh, answer some of the questions too. One, um, one idea might be to like knock it up like a survey. Okay. And just do like a Google Forms thing that people can fit in for the crack. Do you think anyone would do that? That's mad. That's too um, crazy, isn't it? Nobody would if somebody that. knows how to do that on a Twitter, I'm afraid my, my skills are somewhat limited. I can I can do that. I just don't know if anyone would care to actually... Sure, look, if if one person does it, that's one response for us to that's look fair. at. You know what? I'll see if I can knock it up for the crack. Okay. And then okay. Do it. In the meantime, um, have have a lovely have a lovely week. And as ever... Uh, it is it is fascinating to talk to you, Stephen. You too, and thank you so much. It's great fun, <laughs> and thanks to everyone who who uh, commented on Twitter and uh, and particularly particularly uh, for the uh, the link to the Bruce questionnaire because you know it's uh, it just makes everything better. 
This is it. Once we all question together, it's far more interesting stuff comes out of it. So thank you. And uh, until next week, I'll see you there. You have been listening to Anne and Steve Talk Stuff, a Limerick Post podcast produced by Kean Reinhardt, theme tune composed and performed by David Blake. Follow Stephen Kinsler on Twitter at Stephen Kinsler. He's a Stephen with a PH. Anne Blake at Anne Blake 78. She is an Anne with no E. And the Limerick Post at Limerick Post. If you have any questions, you can get to any of these Twitter accounts or follow the hashtag Anne Steve Talk.